As the crowd was passing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. On one of these days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roofs and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to, think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astonished, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe, and said, We have seen incredible things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. 
But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus came to earth to show us what you're like and who you are. And through your grace, he healed many. And he, um, he ministered to those who knew they needed you. And Lord, we, we know we need you. We know that we are not righteous people except through Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So we ask you today to, um, to speak to our hearts. We ask that your spirit would teach us and that you would speak through Jonathan's words. And Lord, that we would um, understand more about you and um, just be more and more thankful for who you are and the person that you were when you were here on earth. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pam and John. So no one is left the same after encountering Jesus. In all of Scripture and all of the stories we see, no one is ever left the same as they were before when encountering Jesus. And many of us have uh, these stories in our own personal lives and the experience of some form of awakening that has changed essentially everything in our experience or about us. Maybe it's uh, some news that broke through the gray clouds of life that gave us a different perspective on things and we could live again, or an idea that became instead our lives overriding direction and passion, or a spark of love that had been proven by a year of faithful sacrifice and care in our lives. It, uh, one of these things that's like an epiphany that made everything fall into place. We could see life different. We could live again. Now, a week ago, it's uh, our elementary school. They hosted a fun run as a fundraiser for the PTA. And you know the Schraders are all about the parent-teacher association. Um, and I promise we're going to quit it here soon enough. And hand it over to the next generation. But a fun run is one of these great ways to get the wiggles out for kids and to earn some bank for the school and for the services that PTA provides. And as some of you know, and some of you even watching this morning witness, Ewan has a lot of energy and he's in constant motion. And uh, we have such a small house and all he does is run circles around that house constantly. And I think at the same time that he has all this energy and all this motion, he is a really great runner. Like that's my opinion. I'm excited about him running and taking that on. So I had really high hopes for him as he was going into this fun run and hopes for his success in it. And the kids at the fun run, they all have 30 minutes to run around this half track that they assemble. Um, on the field and they carry with them these electronic trackers to count their laps and as a volunteer that got to be on campus I got to man the water table and cheer on the kids and from the start Ewan was running steady and strong and where his friends would go out really hard for a few good laps and then they would slow down a bit or start stopping for water he kept his pace for the whole race I'm so proud of him, and he was prepared 
And he knew that to finish a race of any length, you had to keep a steady pace, that you had to be ready for that. And after the first 10 minutes or so, the host starts hyping the kids on the loudspeaker, and he reads off the names of the leaders. And in that moment, I was waiting because I wanted to hear you and Schrader, right? And that never came. His name was never read, and it's like, oh, man. Well, maybe he's not running as fast as I think. And so I'm cheering him on. I'm like, you got this, bud. Just keep going. And I shouted to him as he kept at his persistent pace. And he really was giving it his all in this race. You could even see it in the flush of his face. You know, his color was different. He was digging deep and nothing was going to stop him. And he keeps going lap upon lap, steady as she goes, trying to win this race. And after a couple more of those loudspeaker listings of the top ten uh, leaders of the race, I mentioned to Stacy that something has to be wrong because they've not said his name. Ewan was clearly ahead of all these other kids in his grade little track that he was running on. He had to be in the top 10. Like there's no way that nine other people were beating him or 11 other people were beating him. And she is ever the peacemaker, right? If, if you met Stacy, if you're into Enneagram, she's a nine, so always keeping the peace. And she assured me in that moment that it really wasn't that big of a deal, right, if he wins. But even so, as the PTA president, she had the authority to be able to go over and check the tracker computer and see where Ewan was on the list and check. Maybe he's just not reading his name because Ewan is kind of a hard name to pronounce if you don't know what it is. And She looked, and his name was on the list, but far lower than the top 10. And then the last 10 minutes came around of the race, and another announcement was made with the leaderboard. And I decided in that moment that I was just going to run alongside Ewan to encourage him. And we hear from the loudspeaker, the top runner is Isaiah. And I was like, I look at Ewan, and I said, okay, dude, you know who you have to beat now. All you have to do is get ahead of Isaiah. You can do it. You can catch him. I just couldn't believe it, though. Ewan was too strong. He was too consistent. There had to be something wrong in this race because he should have been the, the leader. So in the last five minutes of the race, I again jogged alongside him and I asked him, I was like, bud, can I just see your tracker just for a second as we run? And it's like, you should trust, but you should verify, right? And so I look at the tractor and there, tracker, and there it is, 338. That's his number. Okay, I've got it. I'm like, okay, bud, it finished strong. A couple more laps, you could do this. And the remaining laps fly by. And as the kids lined up after the race for the cool-down lap, I took my spot close to the front because I just knew that Ewan was going to be in the top 10. And I'm going to have to take a picture of my son coming up to get the prize because the top 10 finishers got an extra prize. How exciting would that be for them? And starting from 10 all the way to 2, the hype guy that's running the race calls out these names. And most of them you would recognize as kids that were making a real effort that morning that were running hard. And you'd be proud of them, right? But Ewan's name was never called. And so then he goes to announce the number one runner. And he always says, he's like, maybe a future Olympian from right here at Miller Elementary. The number one runner, Isaiah. And in that moment, with a look of amazement, Isaiah, 
lumbers up to the table and he gets his prize with the cheers of the crowd and a few looks of disbelief. Those of us that watched the race. And I was like, there's no way. This kid wasn't even running. And I I didn't say it out loud, right? I, I was like the Pharisees thinking it to myself, like how embarrassing would that be? And after the classes left, they went back, and we, the break time in between uh, the new classes would come. You, you watched Ewan as he walked off, and his, his shoulders were down, his head was down. He was dejected because he hadn't won, and he had worked so hard. And so in that moment, I had a moment, right? What, what's the male version of a Karen, right? Is it Ch- so I had a Chad moment, right? It's my brother-in-law's name. I think that's great. So I have a Chad moment. I go up to Stacy and to the race host as they're packing things up, getting ready for the next race. And I make it known that there is no way that Ewan didn't come in among, among the top ten. I'm like, it's not just that he's my son. It's like he is a great runner and he did a fun, phenomenal job. And the poor guy running the thing, he's like, well, sometimes these kids surprise us, you know. And then he says, and sometimes they run with the wrong tracker. And I was like, well... I know his tracker number because I ran alongside to verify what his tracker number was. And so I said, can you look and see who was supposed to be wearing 338? And he checked and there was the name, Isaiah, right? God bless him. I was like, you do not tell Isaiah. This might be the thing that sparks him to be a great runner. And I even said to Stacy. I sure hope his teacher does not come to Reservoir Church on this Sunday because I was so angry in that moment. How could you just not take five minutes to make sure kids got the right trackers, right? I mean, the dude worked so hard. He deserved to be rewarded for his effort, to know that it paid off, that what he did was worthwhile, to know he was actually a really great runner. And how hard is it for that teacher just to give the kids the tracker assign their name? And I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive her. Will you pray for me? Yes. Right. And, and during the, the next class's event, Ewan comes back from the classroom to the track. And he's still shoulders down, kicking the dirt, right? Just kind of like doing a chore for the teacher. And he comes back carrying the tracker assignment sheet from the teacher, wondering if we still needed that. Like... She's just giving us the evidence, you know. And I, I bent down to them and to him, and Stacy and I were there talking to him. And I told him, "Buddy, you actually won the race. You were number one." I ensured that he would not tell the other kids as to discourage them, but to look at him, there was just this relief on his face that he had actually won. And so then he skips back to class. Right? It, it changed his outlook. It changed his. Perspective And that realization that his effort paid off, that he won, changed him. He was not left the same at all. And we celebrated that day. Everybody got a smoothie whether you ran that race or not. And Adia ran. Adia was like a cheetah. And she was getting pushed in her walker, but still. And So I'm still a little bit angry. And you're going to be praying for me for that. But man, that epiphany that comes, it changes our perspective. It gives us a view of reality. And as we progress in our study of Luke's gospel, we're going to meet all kinds of characters who have these exact same type of experiences and epiphanies as they encounter Jesus. 
As they meet the Messiah, uh, the Son of Man that is actually the Son of God. And none of them walk away unchanged. Everybody is different when they encounter Jesus. And in our text today, it's a, a long text, but we just want to get the full breadth of it, that there are two callings and two healings that give us insight into what happens for those that encounter Jesus and his way. And it's... Three points for us this morning that they are comforted, they are cleansed, and they are called. And hopefully we'll recognize that those things are true of us because no one is left the same after encountering Jesus. So we start off with the reality that when you encounter Jesus, you are comforted. We have the story here of Gennesaret, which is is the Lake of Galilee, right? And Through chapter 9, we're going to hear and see the witness of Jesus' ministry in this region. And he's been preaching, as he said in chapter 4, because it was necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. So he's just preaching the kingdom over and over again. The crowds have been building. There's excitement around his teaching of what is to come. And they've crowded the shore so much so that in that moment, it makes sense to, instead of staying on the shore, just to get into a boat and to go out a little bit so people can hear him. And so Jesus sees two boats and the fishermen on the shore that are washing their net. And he gets into Simon's boat and he asks him to put out a little bit from the land so he can teach the crowd. The boat becomes his platform for his preaching. And we've met Simon before already in our study of Luke because it was in his house that Jesus healed the the fever of Simon's mother-in-law. And here he is just doing his work and ministry interrupts him. And when he's done teaching Jesus, what I think is a tremendous act of kindness, he says to Simon, Why don't we put out a little further in the deep water, put down the nets for a catch. As if it's like payment for letting me use your boat to preach the truth of the kingdom. And I don't think fully like we understand the gravity of this request and what he's asking Simon here. Because we don't fish for a living. And we certainly don't fish in the first century for a living, a living. And fishermen know where and when the fish can be caught, right? It's their business to know that. And as the, was their routine in the first century, they've been out all night. And he just says this. He's like, Master, we've been out all night working and we haven't caught anything. And it was at night that you were supposed to be able to catch fish. And yet they had nothing to show for their effort. They'd carried the heavy nets to shore, they'd washed them, they'd set them out to dry. And in their exhaustion, this carpenter, what, what, is, what does the chairmaker know of fishing? Yet he tells them to go back out and put their nets in the deep. This would be like me telling Bill Dietrich how to fish, or better yet, his son Nathan. They're far more proficient fishers than I am. I'm awful at fishing. But what obedience we see from Simon Peter here. He says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. There's enough of a belief of like, well, this guy is preaching something good. He's doing something good. I'm going to obey him in that moment. And then it's like they win the fish lottery. All right. They caught a great 
number of fish. So many that their nets began to break. They had to call for help for the second boat. And both boats almost sink under the weight of this catch. That Jesus said, let's just go out for another catch. And what a miracle it is that these fish have been caught. This is going to be the story for the rest of their lives, right? If they've been in the boat or even if they saw this happen, they're going to say things like, that was the moment that I knew. And it's funny because Simon, like we have to realize, like he's already witnessed a miracle, right? He's seen the healing of his mother-in-law. But if we're honest, sometimes a miracle for our mother-in-law does not register as a miracle for us. Yeah, you can laugh at that. I love my mother-in-law. But here, Simon has his miracle. It's as if all of his fishes have come true. No, thank you. My wife. She's the only one that needs to laugh at me. But in that moment, this abundance of fish, this catch has come in. There, there's awe. There's not a party. Right? Like we don't, This is a ton of money. This is probably like a month's worth of work that has come in in one moment. And Simon in that moment realizes who Jesus is. And it humbles him, right? Because faced with Christ's authority and power, his soul is flooded with a sense of his own evil and hollowness and with a trembling realization of the personal consequences of his sin in that moment. And what does he say? He says, go away from me because I'm a sinful man. There's not even a thank you here. It's just a recognition of who he is before a holy God. And stunned by the awakening of who Jesus is, Simon goes in that moment from calling him master, which is like a nice reference. And instead he says, Lord. And he's shook because he has no business being in the same boat as God in this moment. And it reminds me of the Old Testament story of the prophet Isaiah and his experience before the throne of God. You see it in Isaiah 6. And he wrote, I saw the Lord seated on high in a lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, and they each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. Right? His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah, he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. So before a holy and perfect God, we are confronted with our own sinfulness, our unworthiness in that space. And where some in our experience today declare that you need to have a healthy self-esteem. Standing in the presence of the creator of the universe, esteem is placed where it appropriately belongs. And woe is the right response. Get away from me. Go away from me because I'm a sinful man. And this is Simon Peter, right? We've just met him in this gospel, but you know of his personality, right? He is the brash one. He's quick-tempered. He's ready to mix it up to protect Jesus in his way. And here, he's in awe 
I can almost see him like trembling in this moment. Recognizing who is in the boat. Who told him to put out for another catch. But Isaiah and Simon recognize the holy nature of Jesus in their own sinfulness. And for Simon and his boatmates, it is the ultimate result is going to be for them following Jesus. Because they can do nothing else because they're before a holy God. They've recognized their sinfulness and that he is still with them. They will, of course, follow him. And whatever way God chooses to work in our world to perform miracles, he is actually seeking to lead us to confess our sin and follow him without reservation. That's what's happening here for Simon Peter and his example for us, that it's okay to say, woe is me, like I am a sinful man. But it's Jesus' response that makes a difference. Did you, did you catch how, what Jesus said after Simon says, like, go away from me, Lord? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. So friends, the way of Jesus is not fear, but trust in the comfort of those aware of their sin and their need for a Savior. And Jesus is the comforter. Like He even says when he promises the Spirit, he says, I'm going to send you another comforter. Establishing his role as our comforter, the one that says to us, don't be afraid. And I, I love the Apostle John's vision of this from Revelation 1. And he says, when I saw him, he sees Jesus. He has this moment and I fell at his feet like a dead man. The appropriate response before the holy creator of all things. And here's what Jesus does. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. So we approach Jesus even in our sinfulness, even in our utter brokenness, our unworthiness. And what does he say to us? Don't be afraid. Come to me, all who are weary and receive rest. When we encounter the real Jesus, there is a very real awareness of our sins. I want you to feel it. I want you to know it and own it. But there is also tangible comforting in that. Because he is the one who calls the weary to himself for rest. He is the one that says to us, don't be afraid. This is the experience of his grace, his mercy in that moment on the boat and from the cross for us. And Simon will never be the same. So he comforts those that encounter him. But he also cleanses them. And later in the upper room, at the end of the story, at the end of the gospel, Simon Peter, was, he's going to get this one. He's going to ask Jesus, like, don't just wash my feet, but wash my whole body. But here in our text, there are two healings that give two different angles, but are about the same thing, being made clean before this holy God. A leper sees Jesus and he falls face down out of reverence, which we've established is appropriate. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a man who is unclean. He is excluded from the religious and communal life of the people. He is to be avoided. And at like all costs, people would not go near him because they knew if they touched him or were close to him, they too would be made unclean. And he knows what he needs in this moment. He needs to be restored to health, to be made clean. And he has faith that if Jesus is willing, certainly he can cleanse me. 
And then later there's this paralyzed man. He's not unclean in the same way. So he has instead friends that are willing to carry him from place to place. And he's on a stretcher and he can't walk. He is physically hurting. He is broken. And his friends have heard that Jesus heals. So creatively they bring him before Jesus. And they drop him right into the middle of the room. And the beautiful thing about both of these stories is that Jesus is willing. He makes the man clean, and then he forgives the other one. And that's actually what's needed is forgiveness. To the first, he says, go to the priest, make it official that you are actually clean. Like get the the temple stamp saying that you are clean. You can be a part of the religious and communal life again. And then responding to the faith of the paralytic's friends, Jesus penetrates into the deepest part of the problem, whether his paralysis was related to sin or not. We don't know. Luke does not tell us. But he pronounces a verdict of forgiveness on that man. And in that moment, the Pharisees are caught off guard, right? They, they can't handle it. And they've come to hear Jesus teach. They've caught the same buzz that he's doing miracles and teaching with authority. But they didn't expect this kind of authority. Truth be told, the Pharisees would be totally okay if Jesus was just your run-of-the-mill miracle worker, healing some people on occasion, drawing crowds every now and again. But forgiveness is God's domain alone. It's one thing to tell somebody to get up and walk and to see them healed or to take a fever away from somebody, uh, like a good dose of Tylenol. But this is the one who says, I can forgive you. And here's a spoiler for the Pharisees and for us. Jesus is God. And in the cleansing and forgiving, we actually get a glimpse at God's heart for us. Are you ready for this? That's what Bill always says. And I just, I'm, you have discipled me, brother. You say, are you ready for this? But mark this one down. God cannot be happy unless we are flourishing. Does that set right with you? Some of you, don't worry. I quoted somebody famous. But I don't need to tell you. But it's true. Like God, it does not have happiness as we would define happiness unless his children are flourishing. We see it in Genesis uh, 6, 5, and 6, right? He sees the sin and the brokenness of the world and he was deeply grieved. His heart was torn. It was broken. And as Isaiah 63 he said, in all their suffering, he suffered. God is suffering with his people and the angel of his presence saved them and he redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He felt for them. He had a heart for them because they were not flourishing in that moment. In Judges 10, he says he became weary of Israel's misery. He could not bear their misery any longer. In Hosea 11, he says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred for you. So I, I didn't come up with the idea that God is not happy unless you're flourishing. He did, right? And the truth is that God so identifies with us that he is not happy unless we are flourishing, unless we're experiencing the fullness of life that he has promised. And we sang it. How beautiful. Psalm 103 this morning. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Those who are reverent before him, who trust him. He has compassion. He has a heart for us. Just go back to Ewan's run for a moment. 
I long for my son to flourish, to be celebrated for his labor, to feel the rush of it all, of earning what he did. And that he did not experience that in that moment made me unhappy. It unsettled me. I told Stacy, we're driving home. I'm like, I'm so mad I could spit. And that's the clean version. And the truth is, like, I felt that not because God is like me, but because I am made like him as an image bearer, as a father. And that's what he feels for us in those moments. And he identifies with our well-being. And Jesus comes to make us clean. To bring us into flourishing, to relieve our suffering, to undo the sadness of our sin. And friends, forgiveness is flourishing. It's what we need to experience the fullness of life. And Jesus is the fix. Right? For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus could have said in that moment, walk, right? He even makes that distinction. But it is forgiveness that this man needs. It's forgiveness that we need. And it is his forgiveness that makes us clean and righteous before him. That makes the don't be afraid appropriate and something that we can hear. It makes us spotless before the Father whose heart is tied to ours. Because this is why Jesus came. This is how he builds the temple by cleansing his people. And no one's left the same. And even the Pharisees in this moment, they are in awe now, but they will eventually not stand for it. And they're going to keep on challenging Jesus. But what I love is the man with the friends will stand for it because he was forgiven. Like literally stand and stand. One writer says our reconciliation with God through Jesus is at the core of the gospel message. Yet it is also more than this with the repeated emphasis of our restoration as People, The gospel has implications for the whole person with the hope of our final restoration in the new creation. God desires your flourishing and that's why Jesus has come to establish his kingdom, to grant you forgiveness and fullness of life. Those that encounter Jesus are comforted, they're cleansed, but that's not all. Because they're also called. And this is, this is key for us. This is the answer to the what's next question of these stories. And it is the purpose of Jesus' ministry and his kingdom. And Simon is told that he and the boys will now work to catch humans instead. The healed men are to live clean and to live forgiven. And then we hear of Levi, this tax collector, the traitor himself. And he's invited to follow Jesus. And in both callings, he says that they left everything and followed him. Nothing else had priority like Jesus did. And then they have a feast to celebrate. Remember, we're supposed to be a feasting people. And they're just, they're being obedient to that reality. And they're throwing a feast. And the Pharisees and scribes, the religious elite, don't like the ramifications of this good news that Jesus is preaching. Like, it's okay if you preach your good news, but they don't like who actually receives grace in his preaching, who's comforted and who's cleansed. And Luke tells us the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
And I love it. Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus came for the sick, those that know they are sick, those that are in need of rescue, the unclean, the tax collectors and sinners. And this answer is the epiphany or the awakening that shapes the way of Jesus for us. Because he came for tax collectors and sinners. As one preacher says, as the gospel goes forth, it encounters two responses from two types of people contrasted in the story. On the one hand are those like the grumbling Pharisees. Although they may be theologically astute and correct, they fail to see Jesus correctly and fail to have compassion on those in need. The other possible response to Jesus is to have faith to pursue him and to trust him enough to obey and to glorify God for the works of Jesus. To praise God that he came for tax collectors and sinners like you and me. They're called to follow, to be fishers of men, to reorder their lives. And for some of us, he may call us to make that our vocation. That's just what we do. Others, it's going to be our boats that he will use as a platform to speak his kingdom truth from. Some will live clean and all of us will live forgiven. Having encountered Jesus, never the same. This is the logic of the kingdom and it applies to all of us who claim to be children of the king. Jesus calls his people to diverse vocations, but all are devoted, uh, devoting their lives to catching men and women alive. And that's our perpetual vocation. That the kingdom would grow, that people would receive forgiveness, and that they too with us would follow Jesus. I don't know if you guys, there's so much you can stream and watch for entertainment, but we always enjoy like Masterpiece Theater, right? PBS. We can't get it in on an antenna because we live in the ghetto, but we can still stream it. And we've been watching All Creatures Great and Small. Have you watched this show? If you have, it's a great show. It's wholesome. It's it's wonderful. But there's a character in last week's episode. I'm going to totally give you spoilers, so you'll just have to get over it. But he's kind of like presented in the two seasons as like the playboy wannabe, that he has to truly come to grips with who he is and then who he wants to be from the reality of that and what he wants to do with his life. Does he truly want to be a vet or not? And in last week's episode, in caring for a woman whose dog has died, he discovers his purpose because he realizes in that moment that it's about the people too. And Tristan's epiphany changes his purpose in that moment. And the story is about to take off. He's going to commit his life to his purpose again. And meeting Jesus on the shores of Galilee is meant to do the exact same thing for us. Because no one is left the same after encountering Jesus. So the question for us is, have you you encountered Jesus? The one who hears and knows of your sin and says to you, do not be afraid. Who lived, died, and rose from the grave for you. The king who gives you grace. If you've encountered him, friends, just be comforted. 
Jesus is not at all surprised by your sin. And he says to you, don't be afraid. Receive his grace for you. Then be cleansed. His life, death, and resurrection was for your forgiveness. In him you have been made clean. You are now spotless as he is spotless. Rejoice in that and follow him. And live called. Friends, please do not let other Christians be the only sinners that you know. Maybe this is the biggest thing for us in the moment. Don't fear and instead love and serve people. Because the truth is, if Jesus cannot be made unclean by touching a leper, neither can you or your kids. So be a friend of sinners. Love Charles Spurgeon. He said, when Christ comes into contact with impurity, he is not defiled. He removes it. This is what the gospel is meant to do to the world. We are to go and seek the good of the most fallen and abandoned of men and women. And those who do so ought to have so much of the spirit of Jesus Christ imparting spiritual health as opposed to receiving infection. May we be in such a state of health as Jesus was, as we love those around us. So friends, trust him. Trust the power of the spirit that dwells in you and be used to share his comfort and cleansing with your neighbors, with your city, with your community and with the world that they might say of us at Reservoir Church, they are friends of sinners. So the truth is there are more races to run and we can run them with confidence knowing we are his. Never the same because we have been comforted, cleansed, and called. And the Father is watching, friends, and he is well pleased. Let's go. Will you pray with me? Lord, sometimes your heart for us surprises us. Sometimes if we're honest, it doesn't even sound right. Like, How can we say these things about God? But you say them in your word. And we've seen today that you desire our flourishing, that you can't be happy unless we are experiencing the fullness of life that you have come to give us. And Jesus, if if we're honest, many times the way we approach you is in fear and not the reverent kind, but the anxious kind. And Lord, by your spirit, We ask that you would help us hear your declaration to us, don't be afraid. That we'd be comforted by your grace, by your sacrifice for us. That in that we'd experience your cleansing work and your call on us. That we would proclaim your goodness to the ends of the earth. That we would proclaim your goodness to the end of our streets. That we'd proclaim your goodness to the people that we meet, our friends, our classmates. That there would be the aroma of your grace upon us. And Lord, we can only do it because you have forgiven us. Because you have given of yourself that we would be children of God. Lord, help us to see it. 
and reshape our lives for your glory from this moment into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.